Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 18th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. In a landmark case, the California Court of Appeal gave the go-ahead for Venice Beach business owners to proceed against their carrier for COVID losses. In this case, Fireman's Fund issued its commercial property insurance policy to Hotel Irwin and Larry's, a restaurant adjacent to the hotel in Venice Beach. The policy's general property coverage provision said Fireman's Fund would pay for direct physical loss or damage to property. A claim was filed under this policy for COVID-19 related physical loss or damage to property, which the owners claimed required the closure or suspension of operations at Hotel Irwin and Larry's. Fireman's Fund refused to pay for any loss under their policy. So the owner sued Fireman's Fund, alleging the COVID-19 virus had physically transformed portions of their properties, which they say was direct physical loss or damage within the meaning of the policy. The trial court sustained Fireman Fund's demur to the complaint without leave to amend and dismissed the lawsuit, ruling the COVID-19 virus cannot cause direct physical loss or damage to property. But the Court of Appeal reversed the dismissal in the published case of Marina Pacific Hotel and Suites versus Fireman's Fund. The key issue in this case is what constitutes direct physical loss or damage under this policy. Fireman's Fund argued that courts across the country had ruled the pandemic does not equate to physical loss or damage and argued loss of use alone does not constitute direct physical loss or damage required by the policy language. The plaintiffs, however, argued that cases from California involving asbestos fibers and across the country have refused to dismiss similar lawsuits at the pleading stage. The insurers specifically alleged they were required to dispose of property damaged by COVID-19 and limit operations at the insured properties. The Court of Appeal agreed with the plaintiffs and concluded that the insureds had unquestionably pleaded direct physical loss or damage to their covered property. They also adequately alleged that physical loss or damage caused a slowdown in or cessation of the operation of the insured's business while the covered property was restored or remediated, thereby triggering the business interruption coverage. The court went on to add that it recognized this conclusion is at odds with almost all, but not all, decisions on this issue. Thus, they published the opinion as essentially landmark law in California. And another Court of Appeal decision ruled that job applicants are not yet employees when tested for drugs as part of the pre-employment process at the request of the employer. Winco Foods operates a supermarket chain with just over 100 locations across the western United States, including California. 
a hiring manager calls successful applicants to extend what WinCo terms a contingent offer of employment and informs the job applicant of a mandatory drug test as part of the contingent job offer. When an applicant consents, WinCo instructs applicants to report to a testing location. It pays the drug testing facilities fee, but does not compensate for the travel expenses and time required to undergo the testing. The plaintiff here, Alfred Johnson, on behalf of himself and other WinCo employees in California filed this class action in a California state court. He alleged labor code violations relating to the payment of wages and business-related expenses and unfair business practices. Winco removed the case to federal court under the Class Action Fairness Act. The federal district court entered judgment in favor of Winco on the ground that the plaintiffs were not yet employees when they took the drug test. So the plaintiffs appealed, contending that they were indeed employees. But the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed the trial court in the published case of Johnson v. Winco Foods. They said the same issues have arisen in a number of similar cases removed from California state courts to federal district court and have also ruled in favor of the employer. They say that there is as as of yet no authoritative California state court decision. Thus, the Ninth Circuit published its opinion, making it controlling law here in California. The plaintiffs argued on appeal that because the tests were administered under the control of the employer, the plaintiffs must be regarded as employees. As California law applies a control test to determine whether an employment relationship exists. Secondly, and alternatively, they contend that under California law, the test should be regarded as a condition subsequent to their hiring as employees. But the Ninth Circuit rejected both arguments, noting that the class members were not performing work for an employer when they took the pre-employment drug test and were not yet employees. Johnson relied in major part on a 1999 workers' compensation case, Bowen v. the WCAB. But the Ninth Circuit distinguished this case by noting that the Bowen decision was guided by the policy of liberally construing contracts in favor of employees under California workers' compensation law. But if the court had applied California contract law rather than workers' compensation principles, there would not have been a contract until all of the conditions of employment were satisfied. The city of San Francisco reached a $54 million settlement this week with Allergan and Teva, two of the defendants, after months of trial testimony. This settlement stems from ongoing litigation San Francisco brought against the opioid industry. Allergen and Teva will be severed from the ongoing trial, and closing arguments against the remaining event at Walgreens will continue. This bench trial began on April 25, 2022. Over the course of this litigation, the city attorney's office has thus far secured over $120 million in cash payments and other benefits from the opioid industry. 
The city attorney's office filed this landmark case back in 2018, alleging that the corporate practices of opioid manufacturers, distributors, and dispensers fueled a widespread surge of opioid-related addiction and overdose in San Francisco, creating an ongoing public nuisance in the region. The lawsuit alleges that the remaining defendant, Walgreens, over-dispensed opioids without proper due diligence and failed to identify, divert, and report suspicious orders as required by law. This trial is the fourth bellwether case in the federal opioid litigation proceeding involving more than 3,000 American cities, towns, and counties, bringing opioid manufacturers, distributors, and pharmacy chains to court for fueling the opioid epidemic. And after 14 years of litigation, a federal judge in California is poised to rule that Jan Pro International misclassified janitors as contract workers, as the company argues that it is not in the janitorial business at all. The Georgia-based company operates as a multi-level franchising scheme, selling cleaning businesses to regional master franchisees throughout the nation, who in turn sign unit franchisee agreements with individuals who perform the actual janitorial work. The lawsuit was filed in Massachusetts way back in 2008 when low-wage cleaners accused Janpro of preying on immigrant workers by inducing them to buy cleaning franchises while taking a hefty cut of their earnings as royalties and misclassifying them as independent contractors. Claims brought by janitors who live in California were eventually severed and transferred to the Northern District Court in California. In 2017, a finding in favor of JanPro, the federal judge applied the employment relationship defined by the California Supreme Court in the Martinez v. Combs case, but the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned that finding in 2019. Along the way, the 2018 Dynamax case was decided by the California Supreme Court when they implemented the ABC three-part test to classify workers as independent contractors. The test was written into California Labor Code with the passage of Assembly Bill 5 in 2019. Thus, the federal trial judge asked to take was asked to take another look at the case after the Supreme Court ruled that the Dynamax decision applies retroactively. Having done so, the federal judge found the janitors are necessary to Janpro's business under the B prong of the Dynamax test and flatly rejected Janpro's argument that it's not a cleaning business. Thursday's hearing coincides with the Washington, D.C. Attorney General, who is suing the company over its labor practices, including misclassifying janitors and saddling them with unfair franchise fees, so they say. And now our crime report. 32-year-old Quarianka Kilcher, who lives in North Hollywood, has been charged with two felony counts of workers' compensation insurance fraud. Kilcher is an actress, singer, and activist, and she is best known for the film roles at 
Pocahontas in Terrace Malick's 2005 film The New World and Culiani in 2009 Princess Culiani film. In 2020, she starred in a recurring role on the Paramount television series Yellowstone, where she plays Angela Blue Thunder in one of the TV's most popular dramas. In October 2018, while acting in the movie Dora and the Lost City of Gold, Kilcher allegedly injured her neck and right shoulder. She saw a doctor a few times that year, but stopped treatment and did not respond to the insurance company handling her claim. A year later, Kilcher contacted the insurance company saying she needed treatment and told the doctor handling her claim that she had been offered work since her injury occurred but had been unable to accept it because her neck pain was too severe. Based on her statements to the doctor, she began receiving temporary total disability benefits. But an investigation found that Kilcher had worked as an actress on the television show Yellowstone from July 2019 to October 2019, despite her statements to the doctor that she had been unable to work for a year. The doctor on her claim stated if they had been aware of it, they would not have granted her disability payments. But her attorney said third-party doctors verified her injury and entitlement to benefits, and that Ms. Kilcher was at all times candid with her doctors and treatment providers. He claims she never intentionally accepted benefits that she did not believe she was entitled to. Her next scheduled court date is August 7. And in regulatory news, the DWC has issued its Notice of Intent to Readopt the Emergency Med Legal Telehealth Regulation, Section 46.3 of the QME Rules, to extend the current July 18th expiration date. This regulation addresses the ongoing need for telehealth medical legal evaluations and office location flexibility resulting from COVID-19 public health safety measures. These emergency regulations will help injured workers and employers continue to move their workers' compensation claims towards a resolution and avoid additional and undue delay. Upon Office of Administrative Law approval and filing with the Secretary of State, the regulations will be effective for an additional 90 days. This is the first readoption, and the DWC can issue a second one if needed. However, the division intends to commence rulemaking to make this regulation permanent within the next 90 days. A QME or AME may complete a medical legal evaluation through telehealth when a hands-on physical examination is not necessary and other conditions in the regulation are met, including a written agreement to the telehealth evaluation by the injured worker, the carrier or employer, and the QME. But agreement to the telehealth evaluation cannot be unreasonably denied. And in medical news, regenerative medicine is a new field of medicine in which orthopedic surgeons aim to move away from joint replacement and toward joint preservation. They now can plan to provide the body with cells, materials, and stimulation it needs to heal without ever going under the knife using what's called orthobiologics. 
The main debate in orthobiologics is whether the body of evidence currently supports incorporating regenerative medicine techniques into treatment guidelines and conventional treatment strategies. Case studies and anecdotal evidence often support orthobiologics as a treatment option. However, the size and consistency of available studies are still a problem. Although there's plenty of evidence to support regenerative medicine techniques in specific circumstances, such as osteoarthritis and tendinopathy, a broader evidence base will be required before these treatments are accepted as standard practice in wider orthopedic circles. Therapies such as platelet-rich plasma and adipose fat cell derived from stem cell injections often require patients to pay out of pocket as insurance companies refuse to cover these forms of treatment. These orthobiologics are generally considered conservative treatments, meaning they are used as a less invasive alternative to surgery or as an additional option when other treatments have failed. The popularity of orthobiologics is increasing, and to some due to the media coverage of the famous athletes undergoing these procedures, such as Tiger Woods, Steph Curry, and Raphael Nadal, to name just a few. And according to Fair Health's monthly telehealth regional tracker, COVID-19 returned to the top five telehealth diagnoses nationally in April 2022 for the first time since last January. COVID-19 also returned to the list of top five telehealth diagnoses in every U.S. Census region except the South, after it had been off the list in all four regions since January. The reappearance of COVID-19 on the national and regional lists coincided with the rise in COVID-19 cases in April, reported by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Various other uh, diagnoses dropped off the list as the share of COVID-19 diagnoses increased. Nationally, substance use disorders fell off the list in the Midwest and Northeast. Joint soft tissue disease, diseases and issues did as well, and in the West, endocrine and metabolic disorders also did. Mental health conditions remain the top-ranking telehealth diagnosis in all regions and nationally. Social worker remained the top-ranking telehealth specialty in all regions and nationally. But primary care physicians increased its percentage share of telehealth claim lines by about 1% nationally and in the Northeast and South. In April 2022, the rankings of the top five telehealth procedure codes did not change nationally or in any region when compared to the prior two months. The number one telehealth procedure code nationally and in every region remained one hour of psychotherapy. It has been nearly one year since Governor Newsom signed AB 133 into law a healthcare trailer bill which aims to transform healthcare for Californians by requiring providers and health plans to share data with each other by 2024. The new law required the creation of a framework for the seamless and secure exchange of this data in real time between healthcare entities across the state and 
the convening of stakeholder advisory groups to advise on the development and implementation of the data exchange framework. A July 1, 2022 benchmark mandated that California Health and Human Services Agency establish the California Health and Human Services Data Exchange Framework that includes a single data sharing agreement and common set of policies and procedures that will govern and require the exchange of health information among healthcare entities and government agencies in California. And a January 31, 2024 benchmark requires all of the specified entities to exchange health information or provide access to health information to and from other specified entities in real time. These specified entities include general acute care hospitals, physician organizations and medical groups, skilled nursing facilities, health care service plans, disability insurers, Medi-Cal managed care plans, clinical laboratories, and acute psychiatric hospitals. Certain health care providers do not need to meet the data sharing mandate until January 31, 2026, such as physician practices of fewer than 25 physicians and rural general acute care hospitals with fewer than 100 acute care beds and any nonprofit clinic with fewer than 10 health care providers. It would seem that the flow of electronic health information will assist with the data collection and distribution needed to manage the delivery of medical benefits in the workers' compensation claims administration process. It will also assist with the discovery of important medical histories during the discovery phase of workers' compensation litigation. This month, the first mandated benchmark under AB 133 seems to be on track as scheduled. A July 2022 announcement by the California Health and Human Services Agency said the agency has finalized the state's first-ever health and human services data exchange framework, the single data sharing agreement, and common set of policies and procedures that will govern and require the exchange of health information among healthcare entities and government agencies in California beginning 2024. And an executive summary prepared by the agency sets forth the timeline of the remaining steps anticipated to take place to meet this 2024 startup. On July 8th, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti signed an ordinance establishing a $25 minimum hourly wage for workers at eligible privately owned healthcare facilities. The ordinance will affect workers in a range of roles at certain privately owned healthcare facilities in the city, such as acute care hospitals, affiliated clinics, and skilled nursing facilities. Affected roles include clinicians, nurses, aides, technicians, maintenance workers, janitorial or housekeeping staff, groundskeepers, guards, food service workers, pharmacists, and administrative or clerical workers. The increase excludes managers and supervisors. The new minimum wage becomes effective 31 days after the ordinance was published, and estimates say the minimum wage increase will affect about 20,000 healthcare workers. 
The SEIU, United Health Workers Union, originally collected more than 145,000 signatures to put the pay increase on the November 8 ballot. But the city council decided to move more quickly, pushing their colleagues to adopt the measure immediately, and the increase is currently set to take effect in August. But some are not happy with the new law. A coalition of Los Angeles hospitals and other health facilities launched a campaign on Tuesday to repeal the newly enacted ordinance, saying the law will have a harmful effect on medical care across the city. The No on Unequal Pay Measure Coalition, a group sponsored by the California Association of Hospitals and Health Systems, said it will start gathering signatures this week for a referendum to put the wage hike question in front of voters. The coalition complains that the new $25 an hour minimum wage standard applies to certain workers at private hospitals, hospital-based facilities, and dialysis clinics, but completely excludes workers who do the exact same job at public hospitals, clinics, and healthcare facilities, including all University of California and county hospitals and clinics. They also complain that the measure also completely excludes workers at healthcare facilities not affiliated with hospitals. They say hospitals and healthcare providers go to great lengths to pay all healthcare workers competitive living wages with strong benefits. They say the average nurse working in Southern California hospitals earns $57 an hour. The average clinical worker earns $28 an hour, and the average non-clinical worker in a hospital earns about $18 an hour. To qualify the referendum for the ballot, the coalition would need to gather nearly 41,000 valid signatures from L.A. voters within the next 30 days. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.